Welcome to China Insider, a podcast from Hudson Institute's China Center. It's Wednesday, February twenty-first, and Shane and Miles have three topics for us this week. The first is Miles's analysis of Wang Yi's statements made at the twenty twenty-four Munich Security Conference, and what they tell us about the broader pattern of China's behavior in the international system. Second, they discuss the twenty twenty-three Global Democracy Index from the Economist, which ranks Taiwan number one in Asia, and China number one hundred and forty-eight globally. Lastly, they discuss the thousands of German automobiles impounded by U.S. Customs for sourcing electronic parts from Western China under the suspicion of relying on slave labor. Here's Shang. Miles, how are you? Very good, Shang. Glad to be with you again. Me as well. So, for our first topic, this past weekend, the 2024 Munich Security Conference took place,、uh, which saw world leaders presenting and debating on diplomacy and international security. European countries, including Germany, the conference's host, have made public their intentions to de-risk from China and diversify their own supply chains. Something we've talked about a number of times. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi caused a bit of a stir, taking aim at these trends and policies. In his speech, he made several statements to this effect, including, "quote Those who attempt to shut China out in the name of de-risking will make a historical mistake." And he pushed back against accusations of forced labor in the country, calling these claims. Fabricated information from different parties, which seek to stop the development of China. Another note would be that speaking to U.S. Secretary of State Blinken on the sidelines of the conference, Wang Yi complained about U.S. sanctions on Chinese corporations whose activities have been linked to the PLA. So, Miles, to start off, I just want to get your thoughts on Wang Yi's statements here and China's overall presence at the conference. I, I, could, I think you can see the international reaction to China's、uh, traditional. Uh, rhetoric uh, is uh, uh, exactly opposite of what China tries to、uh, achieve. That is, in the past, people may have some kind of degree of uh, uh, trust in Chinese rhetoric. But right now, Wang Yi、uh, presented disgrace because everything he said is just contrary to facts, and everybody knows those facts.、Uh, Wang Yi, for example, he said uh, uh, there is no such thing called slave labor. He said Xinjiang is open to everybody can go. That is completely, completely untrue. I mean, if you want to go to Xinjiang, you probably would not be able to to go because that's one of the most、uh, controlled area in all of China. If you and I can go, of course, there's definitely no. So、uh, this is a absolutely a, a, just a, a bold faced lie. Wang Yi also did something very interesting because he was、uh, warning. With very strong words against cutting China out of global trade, he also said the so-called decoupling from China will be a catastrophe. And I think both cutting China out of global trade and decoupling from China will be a, ca- a catastrophe. I agree with him on that. But who is the reason behind all this? Who caused all those things?、Uh, Wang Yi does not say because it is not the world that wants to cut China out of global trade. Is not the world that wants to decouple from China. Is China created condition for the world impossible to continue normal trade with China? Impossible to continue to be coupled with China economically and technologically. It fits into a traditional Chinese pattern of argument, it, which is pretty anemic right now. Wang Yi also says something else that is, uh, uh, you know, dominating the Munich Security Conference this year. Is the sudden death of the Russian dissident? 
and very popular supporter of democracy, uh, Alexei Navalny. Everybody is condemning uh, that uh, untimely death and suspicious death of this uh, Russian champion for human rights, except China. Mm. China doesn't want to say anything. And we impressed when you said, uh, no, it's uh, Russia's internal affairs. We're not going to interfere. And this caused another outrage. You, you, you heard very tough words from, say, NATO Secretary um, Stoltenberg and from uh, virtually every other leader attending the conference. So China does not act like a member of the responsible international community. China sides with Russia on everything, on war, uh, even on human rights, of course. Uh, uh, that's the case. And also I, I noticed that. It's very interesting. When pressed... China to make a statement about the the Russia-Ukraine peace talk. China said, uh, uh, Wang Yi said, no, it's not the time right now. So China supports Wang Yi's, uh, uh, Vladimir Putin's uh, uh, refusal to enter any kind of a peace negotiation. The reason is very interesting because you remember almost exactly a year ago, China had the opposite position. It says, hey, listen, I'm going to play a um, broker to put Russia and Ukraine together for a peace settlement. Uh, why the change? Because a year ago, Russia was in a very bad shape with, we, with regard to this war in Ukraine. So China wants to save Russia from total defeat. This year, the battlefield situation changed uh, uh, quite a bit. Russia is in upper hand. So China does not want to have peace in Ukraine because China wants Ukraine's total defeat by Russia. And so how do you think the statements made here reflect the larger pattern of China's behavior in the international system? I think implicit in your question is a very salient point that China has a very consistent logic of its international behavior. To understand this logic, it's not really difficult. All you have to do is understand three metaphors. The first metaphor is the logic of a robber. The robber robs the house when the cops arrive to arrest the robber. The robber points the gun at the head of the wife in the house and then shouts to the cops, hey, if you come to arrest and punish me, there will be severe consequences. China's assiduous efforts of decades in the making to create a global supply chain dependency and its entrapment of huge international investments into the PRC for decades is a perfect example. So Wang Yi said about the warning against uh, uh, the world of cutting China out of the global trade, decoupling from China follows the exact same logic. So the world is being blackmailed by the CCP in essence. The second logic is the logic of an arsonist. China sets the house on fire, then calls the fire department. When the fire is put out by the firefighters, China wants to be thanked and rewarded for his act of calling the fire department. This is a very persistent pattern as well. The BRI project, for example, is another example. The BRI project, create enormous political instability and corruptive impact on national sovereignty and economic independence worldwide. Yet the CCP wants to be thanked for such a terrible uh, uh, scheme. The third 
logic of the Chinese international behavior is the logic of a thief. He steals from the others, but calls for catching the thief. Or there's a Chinese phrase called the uh, the thief cries thief. China blames the U.S. for spreading COVID virus to China. China also blames the United States for human rights violation, while itself commits genocide and progressive dictatorship of the proletariat on its entire population, which is a fifth of humanity. So if you wrap all the things together, uh, you, uh, you look at Wang Yi's performance at the uh, 2024 Munich Security Conference, and you will see Wang Yi started out wanting to be a wolf warrior, applying these three logics. Or occasionally, he pretends to be a sheep in wolf's clothing. However, in the end, Wang Yi looks weak and his remarks anemic with little impact. In other words, I would call Wang Yi, in fact, is a sheep in sheep's clothing. And I, I want to go a little bit deeper on something you mentioned uh, at the start here, which is China's role in the Ukrainian conflict. It, how has that changed, uh, perhaps since beginning? How does China conceive of that role? But more importantly, maybe how do how do European leaders see China's role in the conflict? Oh, China has its loss of credibility um, a long time ago, but particularly poignant is uh, China's role in the Ukrainian war. Uh, China is now uh, totally on the side of uh, of Russia. Three weeks ago, China's defense minister, Admiral Dong Jun, called Russia's defense minister, Shoigu. In that call, which is broadcast live to the entire world, China's defense minister stated, China is completely on the side of Russia with regard to the war in Ukraine. And that's pretty blatant. China does not have a, uh, a credibility to be an honest broker in this whole thing. The reason why China sided with Russia uh, is a very peculiar because uh, China is a country that has signed numerous strategic partnership agreements, uh, even security guarantee agreement with Ukraine in the past. Yet, because Ukraine's war launched by Russia is basically an anti-West provocation. So China and Russia are united on that anti-West front. So that's why China is willing to go uh, uh, to, the, uh, to the deep end with Russia on the Ukraine war. So I don't think China really has any positive role to play at all in the Ukrainian war scenario. Uh, because China right now, of course, does not supply lethal weapons to Russia. Uh, however, China does supply uh, enormous material, particularly trucks and railway cars and uh, low-end uh, chips for Russia's war in Ukraine. And China basically is supporting Russia's wartime economy. Without China's persistent and uh, uh, increased uh, economic, financial, and material support, Russia would have a, would have to have a very bad time in Ukraine, and the, the China-Russia trade in last year has dramatically increased to the tune of some somewhere around three hundred billion dollars, uh, even more by some other statistics. So I don't think China can play a very uh, positive role in a war in Ukraine. And I, I want to latch on to something you said there, which is China's anti-West posturing, uh, which would obviously include Europe. 
um, even if it's more acutely focused on the U.S. Do you think the Europeans fully perceive this? I mean, we know in the past they've referred to it as a systemic rivalry. Um, how, how is Europe thinking broadly about EU-China relations today? Well, up until probably like five years ago, the EU had a pervasive illusion about uh, the positive relationship uh, uh, could go further between Europe and China, mostly based on economic self-interest. But two things changed Europeans' position. Number one is really the COVID. Uh, the COVID pandemic shows China's uh, strategic intent. Uh, that really educated uh, a lot of Europeans, and they came much closer to the position of the United States on our view on China as the number one national security threat. So Europeans were very, very close to that. A second issue really is about China's role and stance uh, on the war in Ukraine. Nothing would concern Europeans more than the war in Ukraine launched by Russia. Because Russia, for all practical purposes, is a European country. One major European country invades another European country, obviously, because Europeans are uh, deep concern. And uh, China is uh, on the wrong side of history, is on the wrong side of Europe. So that's why China has become uh, a uh, sort of pariah in the eyes of uh, most European countries, with the possible exception of Hungary, who is uh, pretty close to Russia and pretty close to China. And one last question on this topic, further sort of complicating things is at least some European uh, countries desire for strategic autonomy. Um, so I, I want to ask how Europe maybe perceives itself in in the midst of U.S.-China relations, whether it's caught in the middle or, or just how it thinks about that. Well, I think, you know, the strategic autonomy sounds like a pretty nice idea, but in practicality, it's not going to work because you are autonomous from the U.S. Uh, in terms of what? Uh, values, principles, and our shared uh, interest in global stability, uh, I don't see how they could possibly separate uh, Europe uh, from the United States in a very uh, uh, fundamental way. On the contrast, you can see Europe and the NATO countries in particular have reached agreement in the United with the United States on the issue of China. And they basically has discredited the idea somehow the number one problem in the world is between China and the United States. And they began to realize the issue is not China versus the United States. It's China versus the, the entire world, Europe and the United States included. So the transatlantic relationship will be enhanced will be expanded in the coming years, uh, not because of uh, growing differences between Europe and United States, but precisely the opposite, uh, because of the uh, common ground and the shared values uh, become much more uh, intertwined and uh, interconnected. And this intertwined relationship uh, has uh, further distance uh, Europe and the United States from China and Russia. I want to switch gears here a little bit. Uh, the Economist Intelligence Unit releases a global democracy index each year, which ranks each country in the world on a zero to 10 scale, uh, with 10 being the most democratic and zero being most authoritarian. 
Out of 167 countries ranked, China took the 148th spot, and Taiwan took number 10 globally, but number one in Asia, really showing the stark difference between the regimes of each country. Uh, Miles, we've spoken quite a bit about the robust democratic elements of Taiwan, especially in light of their latest election. Did these results surprise you at all, or are they well within your expectations? I wonder if you could talk a little bit about this. About Taiwan's ranking uh, of number one in Asia, that did not surprise me at all. I've been watching what's going on in Taiwan, and I recently visited Taiwan, and uh, it's totally true. Taiwan is completely transparent, uh, completely open, completely free. People in Taiwan should be very proud of that incredible accomplishment in such a short period of time. What's surprising to me is China ranked number 148. In my view, it should be much, much lower uh, because mm. China does not have uh, any major element or even basic elements of a democracy. Uh, the elections, yes, there are, but they're all fake. All candidates have to be agreed, approved by the Chinese Communist Party. It's in its essence a pure and unadulterated Marxist-Leninist communist country. So uh, number 148 is very low. Um, I don't think China can take any pride in being that kind of ranking. Uh, But also, I think China not only ranked very low in this category, China is ranked extremely low even to the bottom in some other major index uh, of global um, standing. China's uh, f- press freedom is ranked uh, near the bottom, sometimes always bottom, or second to, from the bottom, or third from the bottom. Uh, last year, China's ranking of press freedom is 175th in the world. And that's pretty, pretty low. Uh, China has incredible economic growth in the last several decades. But China's GDP per capita is very, very low. The World Bank and other international institutions where uh, China has a a lot of influence rank China somewhere around mid to low 70th. That ranking is also not to be trusted because much of that is uh, is, uh, uh, from China itself. The CIA ranks China's GDP per capita 100th uh, at $70,000 a year uh, behind Libya, Guyana, and Mauritius. And way below even Russia. Russia is $27,500 a year, according to the CIA. Not only the GDP per capita is low, but you know the Gini coefficient is very also low. Also, China ranked at number 72. In my opinion, should be much, much lower because the enormous wealth generated by China's non-state sector in the last several decades did not go to the Chinese people. The Chinese government is enormously wealthy, is enormously powerful. Most of the money, the wealth, went to the Chinese government. The government right now has the world's largest foreign currency reserve of over $3 trillion, far ahead of everybody. While in the the United States, we have $33 trillion in debt. According to China's own Statistical Bureau's information, the average income of 1.3 billion Chinese population is below $500 a month. That is pretty low. 
So on economic ground, on democracy ground, on freedom ground, China definitely is a failed state under communist rule. There are some other good news about ranking, though. China's main sucker has become a laughing stock in China and in the world. Yet this year, they improved a little bit. They are ranked at number 88th. So this is uh, uh, pretty uh, good for a lot of the Chinese soccer fans. Nevertheless, it's uh, the better of the worst. And for our last topic, I just want to bring up thousands of uh, German luxury vehicles, including those from Porsche, Audi, and Bentley, all of which are owned by the Volkswagen Group, are currently stuck in U.S. ports, having been impounded by U.S. Customs due to electronic components sourced from Western China. Uh, these parts are believed to have been manufactured in Xinjiang and are thus being blocked and scrutinized by the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act of 2021 in the United States, which seeks to prevent the importation of products produced by forced labor in China. The CCP, of course, denies any human rights abuses in the region, and Volkswagen claims to have been unaware of the source of the components and is independently investigating. Uh, Miles, I just want to get your thoughts on this before we close out. Well, basically, China is in violation of a lot of international laws. However, uh, the United States is taking the lead in sort of sanctioning China uh, for its uh, misbehavior, violation of human rights. But this has not been very efficient because other countries, particularly our friends and allies in Europe, try to sort of skirt this kind of U.S. Uh, uh, laws and restrictions, and they always basically try to get away. Um, they are getting away. For example, they are dumping a lot of... Uh, uh, European products, vehicles, manufactured goods, electronics, into the U.S. market in violation of Section 307 of the America's uh, Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act. Uh, and there's a lot of other uh, laws, too. I mean, this is a, a major problem uh, in the new global geopolitics uh, with regard to China. In the Cold War, we have some kind of international agreement that is... Uh, all Western democracies should act together under what we call the uh, Coordinating Committee in Paris, COCOM. That is the collective effort mechanism by Western countries to collectively exercise export control, major capital flow, and assets control to Eastern Bloc. So that was very efficient. We don't have that right now. <clears throat> so this actually a very um, encouraging development. You know, um, the German automobile ma manufacturers had a uh, very big market in China. They invest a lot of uh, uh, their uh, uh, products in China, Chinese market. And the Volkswagen in particular, the Europe's number one automobile manufacturer, by the way, has built a huge plant in the heart of the Uyghur region. And they use a lot of uh, slave laborers and uh, in violation of US uh, Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act. And they got away for a long time. This time we finally caught them. Uh, so I think this is a very, very good uh, development. Hopefully from this incident, our European allies uh, should learn the lessons and basically divest from um, from the um, area where there's a severe genocide and human rights violations. Well, I think that's all the time we have for today. Miles, thanks so much uh, for taking the time, and I look forward to doing this again next week. Okay, uh, I'll see you next week. 
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of China Insider. If you enjoy the show, please share with your friends and colleagues. And for our Chinese language audience, be sure to come back and check out our monthly Chinese language episodes, which are released on the same channel, as well as the Hudson Institute YouTube channel. For more research and analysis from the China Center, be sure to find Miles on X and then head on over to Hudson.org, where you can read and watch more on these and other pressing issues around the globe. Finally, please review and subscribe wherever you are listening from to help grow the show. From all of us at China Insider, we'll see you next week.